Welcome to the Mike Posner Podcast. I'm your co-host today, Dr. John Kodrowski, as I chase Mike down the trail again for uh, repeats in the Grand Canyon. What do you say? Welcome to the show! Just so everyone knows, listening live and uh, not, we have just got back from, and we'll, we'll just dial in here and then we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll connect with them later. later. <laughs> we got that to contend with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe it. I'm here. Yeah. Well, tell, tell, tell everyone where we just came from. We just got out of the Grand Canyon this morning. I mean, we woke up this morning in the bottom of the canyon at the Phantom Ranch at 2,500 feet above sea level down in the desert, yeah. right along the Bright Angel Creek, Colorado River. Yeah. Got up, had breakfast, and hiked out, watched a beautiful pink sunrise. Almost a mile out, we had to hike, like a mile vertical, yeah. about eight miles out to the rim of the canyon by 9 a.m. And then we did a little special extra credit. Well, <laughs> you to get I, the value yeah. of the canyon, you and I, we did transition, <laughs> eat some food quick, and we dropped back in the canyon for three more miles and then came back out again. So we were doing laps. <laughs> so last two days, 41, 42, 42 miles. 42 miles. In the, in the Grand Getting Canyon. Getting after it. Yeah, boy. Good to see you, <laughs> to see you too. <laughs> And so, yeah, thanks for doing this. I, I could barely keep my eyes open right now. So excuse us if our speech is a little slurred. <laughs> well, I want to, do you have any blisters going no, on? None. Okay, I got that nice one. I don't think I have any. Look at that. No, I just have some dry skin. Not bad. No. We're now we're just sullying up this boardroom. <laughs> the boardroom. <laughs> the boardroom. At uh at my very early birthday party. So thank you for being here, both. Happy birthday, man. This is like my dream to go do something really hard in a really beautiful place and then get to be with all the people I love that maybe aren't interested in or can't not do the the hard thing. So yeah, man. Thank you for for setting that up. Let me ask you so a few grateful. questions, um, and and we're just gonna get right into it. Can you tell me about what happened on Little Bear before I met you? Skied. Us climbing or when I skied? Skied. I fell, tumbled. I was uh, kind of skiing a little bit on a icy get this conditions. mic up close to your face kind of so just you can move it yeah kind of like skiing some pretty icy conditions on a project that i did several years ago what was the I, project i tried to become the fastest to ski all the fourteen thousand foot peaks in the in in one same season winter season which mm -hmm. had never been done before and i, I believe it still kind of hasn't been done before like that as right. a skier snowboard a guy who's gone snowboarding went and did it the following year did a little quicker than me actually which means there's maybe a little fuel in the fire to go back and Try to try to do it. We have 58, 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. Okay. And I've done various projects on them, like sleeping on the top of all of them, skiing down all of them. And then I've written some books from those experiences. Yeah, we got some right here. And so sleeping on the sun. Yeah. And so these these projects have been kind of kind of fun. You know, they've been, you know, a lot of a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, but also about adventure and inspiring others to push further. Tell me where you were when you found yourself on Little Bear in that project? So I was maybe 15, 18 peaks in. And so, I, and you've climbed Little Bear with me. Yeah. So you know how steep and dangerous it is. Yeah. So I, I went in there with a couple of friends and, and uh, yeah, we started actually from the very bottom. So we didn't camp up there. We just went from the car, 
midnight start, hiking skin up. We put skins on our skis to go up this trail. And then we get to this lake. It's frozen over. And then we put crampons on, which you've done many times, crampons on your feet. Yeah. Up a gully that's about 50 degrees to a ridge. And then up a ridge and then up another gully about 50 degrees, real steep. Okay. And it was kind of a bad winter that winter in terms of, well, early on, but that area got a lot of wind. So we end up climbing up this couloir and kind of look back and I'm like, oh, it's really steep. It's going to be hard to ski this. Get to the summit, no problem. And then transition, put skis on and drop, dropped into the top of the couloir. And my friend Tori was in front of me. My friend Anna was behind me. My friend Chris was with us as well climbing and we just dropped in and they were able to kind of two of them actually didn't ski up higher because they knew they knew that if they did it was a little dangerous but i had to ski that was the rule mm -hmm. so i go and i i kind of see this ice bulge and i'm like well if i can cut a turn through this ice and then over to some snow i'll just catch an edge and i got there and the edge wouldn't catch and i just went over backwards and i tumbled down 500 feet down all the way down the couloir and i thought that was it you know and when I came down out of the apron of that couloir, the goalie, which you climbed with me before, it opens up. Yeah. It yeah. opens up. And so when it opens up, there's a lot more snow. And then I stopped. I landed on my feet. My skis were all over. My my friend Tori picked up one ski and got it down to me, and I put it back in on and skied out of there. But in the process of, like, trying to stop myself, I got, you know, I thought I broke my arm. Yeah. But I didn't break my arm. I was lucky. I just, I skied away, but I got, I was bleeding a lot. So I went to the hospital, got x-rays and I was okay. I had a helmet on too. While you were falling in that moment of thinking like, this is it. What was that sensation like? And like, just like you have no control. Mm. I think instinct kick in. Right. And then I was like clawing with my gloves later. Cause like I had like skinned up really weird skin, like really weird, like skinned up injuries in different places. Mm. And, like, my knees were bloody, which is weird. Yeah. I'm trying to stop myself. But, you know, got up and then was like, oh, I'm okay. And then I just skied out of there. And then uh, skied down the valley and whatever. And then went to the hospital and got checked out. Well, kind of like today, right? Like, tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen when we wake up. How are we going to feel? Right. So, I went and checked into a hotel and just, like, went to bed. I felt, like, just horrible. Took some ibuprofen and got up in the morning and couldn't, like, get out of bed. And thought, like... I don't know, it's, how am I going to ski the rest of this project? I have like 30 peaks left to ski. Like, what, yeah. this was March, right? I tried to ski some in January, February, March. Because the whole progression of skiing 14ers has definitely come along. Like, there's a few guys that skied them, took 15 years to ski them. Or, you know, there was a guy that actually did it in like, in a calendar year. And I, I knew that I could do it in a season. Like, he spread his out over like kind of two winters. Mm -hmm. And he inspired me at the time. But I ended up saying, hey, I could do this in one season, you know. And anytime you do something that's a little bit outrageous, what happens? People come out and say stuff about you and yeah. criticize what you're doing. But you shouldn't listen to those people. And, of course, I didn't. Right. I just went out and did my thing. Here's something I've been wanting to ask you about because we've, we've become like brothers in during the pandemic, year and a half. We climbed 71 mountains together and you trained me to climb Mount Everest and we climbed Mount Everest together. I always wanted to ask you more detail about your first Everest expedition. Was that on the north side or the south side? The south side. The south side. The, the side. same side we yeah. climbed. And what was really interesting about how we sort of met, and now we're going on two years, two and a half years since your summit. Yeah. 
you were 32 years old, right? You summited 33. I was 33 or 30. Yeah, 33. Well, 33 when yeah. he summited, but yeah. we started working there when we were like 31. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I mean, I've always had mentors, you know, growing, growing up or working through things. And like, I honestly felt like sort of a role model mentor to you and your journey, For obviously, because sure. how hard we worked. But it, I always saw a little bit of you and, in, or a little bit of me in you because mm. we were about the same age when you got your first ever summit, right? Right. So, like, that's, you know, something that was all part of our friendship and our and, and the work that you put in. But when mm. we go back to my first climb, it was, yeah, like, I went to Nepal, had only been there once before. So, I got inspired by doing my own sort of uh, trek into the Kumbu in 2008, but I wasn't able to get back to Nepal for two years or till 2012 so four years later got back to nepal got an opportunity to go climb through a company uh, why were you there you know to climb the mountain right yeah but why did you want to climb the mountain the first Cause when time? i was eight years old i saw all these mountains when i was on the top of holy cross and i and you always wonder like naturally in school you can ask anybody that's watching this right now like what's the highest mountain in the world and whether it's an adult a kid you probably learned in school like what's the highest mountain in the world right what yeah. is it Mount Everest. Every little kid even knows yeah. that you learn it like in second grade. Yeah. So I learned that in second grade and then I'm up on some mountains that are like, not that epic, like Holy Cross is just a hike in the summer. Yeah. We've done it in different epic ways, right? But I got right. up there and you see all these mountains and you sort of dream about it. Like, well, what would I do if I was on Everest? Like, I want to climb Everest. So it was just literally that sort of dream as a kid. And then like, I didn't know how I would get there. So I And was that like stuck in your head forever? Yeah, forever. Like, were you dreaming and about it, it through college and stuff? Yeah, like, I played basketball in college, and, like, I still climb mountains every summer in Colorado right. to be strong, so I'd go back and win all the wind sprints. So, tell me again about Summit Day, the first time. Well, so, the first time, it was a late May Summit, but it was because of an experience that I had a, a week prior or like, yeah, 19. It's a week prior where I was climbing up in strong winds because mm. we chose to avoid a crowd that was 150 people on May 19th of that year. So we went to summit the morning of May 20th. And it was no bueno getting up to the balcony, which you and I spent a little time on the balcony on the way down yeah. and sat there and took yeah. it all in while I stopped there. At about the same time you and I were going, but... uh the day before 150 people had tried to summit and what we risked by going late was that the winds were going to come in and sure enough, the winds were coming in. But the other part was because of there were 150 people, there were people coming back to the high camp, like too late, like 20 hours later in the middle of the night, exhausted, trashed. And then the winds picked up and people were dying right in front of me and then um, got to the balcony and tried to walk across that ridge line kind of the spot where you said, let's mm -hmm. take a quick break, coach, and then let's go. And we got past yeah. those people. Yeah. And I started going across that, and I got blown off my feet. And if I didn't have a rope, I would have got blown in, you know, off somewhere. So how, how strong are the winds? 100 miles per hour. God, 100 miles bro. per hour. Why were and you up there? Like, you didn't know it was going to be 100 miles an hour? Well, it just started getting kind of windy, but then when you got on that ridge, it was exposed, and that next storm was coming in. So people didn't know it was going to be the that pro. Windy. Well, no, we knew the winds were coming in, but we thought maybe not later in the day, till later in the day, like okay. we could get the summit in and get the heck down early okay. like you and I did. Okay. But it was, the winds started coming in that night, and it was already too too bad. And so it was blew, blew me down, and that was pros and cons of like, well, we can go with the crowd, but if we wait 
till the 20th, we won't have a crowd, but we're risking the fact that if the winds come in early, we're out of luck. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. The winds came in early and then it was like, we got to bail and turn around, got blasted, turned around, went down back to the high camp. But as I'm starting to go down, came across people that were up there since the day before that were struggling to make it back oh to high camp. Oh my God. And seven people died that night. And some people needed assistance. Some people were already dead. Some people were delirious. It's like, as you know, you can't pick somebody up. But then we had some other sort of teammates that had signed up for my expedition that weren't like my responsibility. But when you saw them, you're like, hey, we got to help. So I helped a couple people. I, one with her name was Sandra at the time. And I helped her back with her, her Sherpa. And she had left back the day the high before? Camp. No, no. She was with our sort of crew that left. So that had night. you already tagged the summit and you're on your way No, down? no. You're on your no, way this, up. You're at the balcony. And I had to turn around. So imagine being up that high. And people and, are just worked. Yeah. And we had to turn around and quit. And then I got back and that night was crazy. And we got people back to the high camp safely, but other people died. But you're died still not safe at And high still camp. didn't summit. And so immediately it was, we packed our stuff. I had given my oxygen, for example, to Sandra. And I knew my clock was ticking. I have to go down. So I left immediately and went down that night, got back to camp two, and then went all the way back to base camp. And then what? And thought I failed. Well, first of all, let me just clarify for people. Yeah. The reason you can't help or pick people up is because there's there's just no oxygen. Like, it takes all of your energy to take a few yeah, steps. Yeah, you and, get out of breath doing yeah. this. Like drinking. And he's not exaggerating. Yeah. And so, we'll, we'll, I'll give you a video you can throw in the edit that shows. I forgot the guy's name who's always at Everest every year filming. He's a good cinematographer. Elliot or something. He has a really good, like, Instagram clip. That yeah, just Elliot shows, Cycli. Yeah, it yeah. just shows, like, what it, how much it takes to take one step up yeah. there. So, the thought of picking up another human yeah. is just completely and so, off the table. And, and I, you know, real, realistically, like, you're, you're putting your life on the line to even attempt such a thing so yeah and so it was hard enough to like help pick up with another sherpa sandra give her my oxygen get her back to the high camp she recovered enough because she had run out of oxygen and now you have the no night oxygen. and now i have none but it was like my clock's ticking if i don't go down immediately i packed my stuff i left i went down yeah down the lotsy face super fast back to the high camp by like <sighs> 9 a.m right because it was through the night yeah back and to then, base camp you mean well, back to the back to camp two by camp like two. nine a.m. But then like, okay, we've got to risk like if I stay here now, I'm still like probably not going to be able to recover. I have no, no I don't know. Yeah, you got to go if everything's over. So I just bailed and went all the way back to base camp by like lunchtime. And you thought you were you had failed, right? Yeah. So I sit there and you know, and then some of our other team members that were part of that group went yeah, back yeah, to base yeah. camp, and and then everyone's deciding like, well, is there going to Who's going home? Who's not? Most people are like, oh, we're done. We're out of here. Because if you, as you know, if you go up that high, you can't recover usually. And it's yeah, over. Yeah, you're done. Your you're works for like weeks after yeah. that. And so then I could barely afford to go to Everest at the time. Even. Yeah. So I raised about 20 grand. The guy running that expedition at the time who hired Arnold Coster to yeah. at least be the leader, as you have seen how he leads trips, he was leading for a different company that okay. I hired. And I was short nine grand. And I just put the nine grand on my credit card. I spent 29000 on my first Everest expedition. Did not include a personal Sherpa. Didn't include any of the camp helps putting tents in at the camps, except for a high camp, like Camp 4. They were like, well, hey, you can use a tent up there. Okay. And then it included some oxygen if I wanted to use the oxygen, which I was like, yeah, it's my first time on Everest. I should probably climb on oxygen. But no personal Sherpa. Mm -hmm. It included like a cook in Camp 2 and then just base camp service. So I was on my own. So I get back down to base camp. 
And two of the other members that had sort of hired that same thing, except they had Sherpas, they were really stubborn, Richie and Steve, these two guys. Yeah. They stayed in camp two. They were stubborn. Wow. And we're on the radio with them. And I'm sitting there and Chris Tomer, who does weather for me all the time, mm. I talked to him on the sap phone and he says, hey, well, you know, you just got back to base camp. And, you know, by that time it was like, I wake up on the 21st and he's like, well, hey, it looks like there's a good window on the 25th, 26th. And if you rest, you can maximize like resting, but you're gonna have to leave and probably skip camps to go back up to the summit. Mm. And I'm like, hey, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, yeah, the su summit day looks good on the morning of the 26th. There's going to be no wind. It's going to be nice. Well, great. There's hardly going to be anybody around. So I kind of, I kind of marinated on it for one night, wake up on the 22nd and decide, okay, well, I'll rest for another day or two. I think if I rest two more days, so basically got to rest for about three right. days, then I can leave on the 24th and skip camp one, which, you know, we've done that before. That's not too bad. Get to the camp two on the 24th, on the 25th. I can't just go to camp three. I got to skip camp three. I got to oh go from gosh. camp two to camp four. What a day. Yeah. How many hours? It was about a nine hour day, which is tough. Hey, it took me nine hours to just go to two from, to three. <laughs> yeah. Maybe longer. So we left at like one or 2 a.m. And we mm -hmm. got up to the camp by like 11 a.m. or so. Well, actually, so I, I'm leaving a little bit out about this, but so I'm hanging out in base camp and the Sirdar, like, DC Sherpa was the Sirdar, right? Yeah. And we'll talk about him a little bit. But uh, Jangbu Sherpa was working for Arnold. And he comes to me and he says, hey, I've got two, two of my Sherpas with two of our clients in camp. Um, two. He's like, I, I got I to gotta go up there and either climb with them or check on them. And he's like, and I've never been turned away from an Everest summit before. So I got to go up there, check on them. I'm probably going to climb. He'd summited 12 times already. And he says to me, and I remember I didn't hire a personal Sherpa, but like, he's like, hey, and he got to know that I'm a pretty strong climber. So he's like, do you want to go with me? And I was like, well, yeah, I, yeah, why not? Like, that'd be like if LeBron, LeBron James would ask you to play horse, would you say no? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like of course I'm going to go climb with this, this Did I guy, him? this guy that rips. Jangbu. Is he still he, he works for a couple of different companies. Okay. You know, you may not have met him, but you know, last... Well, after our year, I last year or in 2022, I got to go back to Nepal and guide Lobache Peak for some mm -hmm. clients. And right. Jangbu was guiding a client in Lobache, yeah, and I got cool to climb to with him. him, and it was uh -huh. super cool. We got to climb together, and I had my yeah. client; he had his. Like, yeah, and he doesn't ever forget. Now he's up to like 22 Everest summits. <laughs> he's just a, these guys are unbelievable, right? Right. So yeah, so I got to go back up. But we had to skip the camps, get to camp four. We know it's game on. There's no wind. We're sitting there. And you remember how it felt when we when we stepped out of the tent at, you know, 8, 9 p.m. It's time to go up. You see a few lights. Very similar to your summit day where I'm going up and there's a few lights, but the season was pretty much over. And this was May 25th, 26th. And then I slowly go up through the night. And uh, the only difference between your summit and mine was that, and then ours together, was that yours was... June 1st, another week later, and our, yours and my summit day had a lot more wind. The day that I went was like as calm as it is in this room. Yeah, you well, could hear a pin drop. It was unbelievable <laughs> walking up. It was colder though, but it yeah. was calm, dead calm. And we slowly plotted up through the night. And actually, when I say slowly, I was so anxious about getting to the summit with Jangbu that I kind of, a lot, some people say sped. So Dateline NBC did a documentary about that whole story. Uh -huh. 
And they're like, Dr. John and Jangbu sped to the summit. And it was like, you know, like what's fast climbing? Like the difference between faster <laughs> climbing is like, uh, 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 like that's fast. And then slow is like, uh, 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 like that's slow. <laughs> I think I could go a little slower than yeah, that. I went a little you know, slower on everything. But you know, like, like nothing's fast up there. <laughs> no, no. Like, like hey, could you imagine like, like trying to go to the post office? Hey, hey, I got to go mail this letter. Uh, like oh, there's the mailbox. It would take you forever. Or like yeah. go do run errands to the store yeah. or like go get stuff done. Like, right. like you would never get anything done. Like it's, it's so slow. Yeah. So we made it to the top though at 3.30 in the morning, which you know is dark. Yeah. But there was no wind. So I got to wait up there for about an hour till it starts getting light. Our summit was about 4.40 something, right? 4.35, oh, 4.35, okay. So yeah. I had to sit up there for about an hour, hour and 20 minutes. And then I got the beautiful morning sunrise, took the photos, and then... Richie, Steve, and Sandra went back up too. What? With her Sherpa. Uh, with a, you know, one of the Sherpas. Okay. And, and they went up too. And then all of us, they were coming up a little later and we all high-fived and then I took off and went down. And uh, and then they kind of came down after that. And then um, we went all the way back to camp too, just like you and I did. So when you think about how our day went, for me, that experience gave me the opportunity to share my knowledge with you on how we should how how it should be done yeah because i i got to experience exactly how to how to go the the, the timings the hike you know right. as you learned with all the mountains we've done like like how do we how are we doing everest like how are we practicing everest and like how how is it supposed to go here's the, how fast we have to hike this is what time we have to leave this is what time we summit and this is what time we have to get the heck down yeah and so when I summit is when I replay because I've only I've, I've done two summits on that side and then the other summit was on the north side. Yeah, I knew with you exactly how we have to do it and we executed. So, so we had a plan and we have to execute. Yeah. So real quick, I mean, you breeze over it because it's second nature, I think, to <clears> you. <throat> but you almost get to the summit. A bunch of people die. You essentially risk your life to give up your oxygen to Sandra save her life you come back down and it's an unexplainable fatigue that one feels going yeah. that high so what on earth like in you said i'm gonna try again on this expedition because if you said to me like mike after your summit now we're gonna go up to camp four just for a second run like there was no way yeah you're like we're getting in a helicopter no, I was and going done. home like there yeah. was, the, it took, I said on the summit, it took everything. Yeah. So just what is it that in you that didn't give up? I think it was, well, I, I did some like soul searching when I got down and it was, I'll be honest, part of it was, I was just out of uh, my first academic job. I was going to start something new, but I was kind of in a space in my life where like my first book was coming out and part of me was worried I had spent that much for me, 29,000 at the time, plus like my flight's to Nepal, plus like the time investment, the gear, just everything for me was a lot of money. And I was like, if I fail, like, well, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And part of it was like, I need to go do this for me mainly because I want to, I want to have a chance to do some other mounds. And like, I don't want to have to do this again, just for me in that moment. And I think that was the biggest draw. And then, and then the weather forecast like was gonna be good it's not like it showed like really bad winds like yeah. and you know we know that like the weather's iffy because like remember when we were always like studying and figuring mm -hmm. out when to go 
But I was honestly scared that I had spent that much money in a, in, in a sort of a position where I, it was, my life was so uncertain at the time that like the only clarity I had was to go, like it, I was, it was calling me, like you got to go back up and finish the job. You sound like it was all or nothing, man. Yeah. Like yeah. I was just like, I, and, and a lot of people were like, that's risky. But then also I, I called my parents. Like I talked to my mom and dad and my dad was like, hey, I, we love you. And my mom was like saying the same thing and she, and together and they were just like, hey, if you feel like you can do it, you should go. Yeah. You know, like they, they were supportive. And then a few other people that I talked to too were supportive. A couple people thought I was crazy, but you know, in life we do things that are crazy, right? You have that saying about like, not all. It came from Elliot. Not all, yeah. not all great. Not all crazy ideas are great, but all great ideas are crazy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, okay, so you're going to skip two camps, but I knew I was strong enough. You know, like I believed in myself and that's the way that you got to do some of these mounds is like fast and quick and like fast and light and it's safer actually. Yeah. So you also have to flip, you flip your mindset right. when it comes to certain things like, you know, and just, and, and it allows you to accomplish it because you, you flip the switch. It does, you don't look at it like, oh, well now I have to go back up and oh, well, I, I don't think I can skip two camps. Like, no, that's the better way to do it if we skip two camps. Did you have those thoughts and then mm-hmm. you had to shift out of them? Or did you just not even have those thoughts? Of- I think at that time I didn't at all because I was just so raw to like Himalayan climbing. Like, it was my first <laughs> Himalayan expedition. You're like, of course I'll go back up there again. Yeah, I was like, what do I, I was sort of saw to look at like, what do I have to lose? I got everything to gain if I go do this. Wow. I mean, that's a, a big thing. People focus too much on what could go wrong but not enough on what, what good could come out if it went right. Yeah. And so on that note, I want to talk about the worst moment of my life. And you were laying next to me in a tent at Camp, Camp 2. On uh, the worst moment of my life. It's the second time I've been really close to death. And the first moment was a snake bite, and that was actually in some ways peaceful the venom started to go through me and I said, you know, if this is my last couple hours alive, I'm not going to waste them if worrying about if they're my last couple hours. And I said, I'm just going to enjoy whatever happens. Like, hopefully I survive, but I'm going to enjoy it. But this moment was not like that. Um, we were laying at camp two and you were somehow sleeping. I, well, I always sleep good. Kind of like last <laughs> night down in the Grand Canyon, man. I was I was sleeping like a rock Dude, again. So there's so you know? little air at camp too that when I would close my eyes and the respiratory rate, you know, naturally slows down when one goes to sleep. I would fall asleep for about 10, 15 seconds and my body would think it was asphyxiating. So I, I'd get literally 15 seconds of sleep until... <gasps> it would wake me up because it just wasn't, it wasn't used to not having that, the air, the oxygen. And you, your body, obviously you've much more experienced was, and you were, you were, you were sleeping like <laughs> next like to me. It was like, like the I'm lack like, of oxygen I'm like, knocks this you is out. fucking bullshit, dude. He's <laughs> there sawing logs and, and we were there. How, are, were we there two nights or three nights? Uh, on the summit push, it was summit like push. four nights. Four nights. At least. I mean, I could go back and look at my yeah. journal, but if I so, recall it right, we knew we had to thread the needle by like leaving base camp on the 26th right. to go through the ice fall in that storm because that was like the best weather day of that typhoon segment. And then when we got up there, we were there like the night of the 26th, the 27th, the 28th, the 29th. 
Misery, 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 and, misery. And then, and, then, and then the 30th. So we were five nights up there. That because, was, that was because the Because on the 31st, we went. Or no, well, yeah, the 30th, we went up. Yeah. So 26, 7, 8, 9, four nights. Yeah, it went five. 30th, we went to three. It was four nights, though. 30th, we went to three. 31st, we went to the right. high camp to summit on the first. Yeah, so it was still four nights. So this Five was, nights on yeah. the mountain. So this particular summit. night, I'm laying there. You're sleeping. I'm not sleeping. And, and it's just miserable. It was miserable for me to be alive there. And this is what I try to explain to people. It's like, they know me as like, so my audience is like an inspiring guy, energy. And I'm saying, I'm <laughs> superhuman, so larger than life. Dude, me at camp two is not that. Me at camp two is bitchy. Remember, I threw a fucking tantrum. On top my of shit, that, my shit when was, all of it got wet, my gear previously, got wet. Yeah, I was yeah. pissed off. And and I'm at, I'm at my tank's at 10%. And I'm going to go try to climb Everest with that temp. You know what I mean? That's what people don't understand. It's not like you just had a nice meal and you Yeah, did, and like living you know, in a nice lodge yeah, and like eating no, good food. It's not I that. mean, even it's, the food's hard to get down. It's not that. You're fucking, you're fucking getting worked up there and you're already at 10% and you're going to go try to do some, the hardest thing you've ever done in your life at 10%. That's what it is. And it's a game you can't quit. Like it, if a, you're in a marathon and you want to stop, you just go home. You know, this, you don't go home if you quit. So it's a, it's an all in endeavor. So we're laying, we're laying in the tent camp too. I'm miserable. You're sleeping. And I hear a rumble which I recognize as the slide of an avalanche, but I, I don't think much of it because as you know, the, we hear so many of those rumbles and usually they're so far away. So I'm like, oh, there's another avalanche. No big deal. And we've uh, been digging out tents for the whole time, days we yeah, were there. Just every snow Every day though. it was snow. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, snow on a tent. So we yeah. knew there was snow on the slopes above. So yeah, it, it, it had been a big storm. And which is the reason we were there four days in the first place is because you don't climb steep shit after heavy snowfall. For two days at least. Because of avalanches. So we're waiting in what we think is a safe place is camp too. So I hear this rumble and think nothing of it. No big deal. And then very quickly I realize it is a big deal. And our tent rips open. Snow starts to blast me in the face, starts to fill up my sleeping bag. And I'm not an idiot. Like, and we've been working long enough. I know this, this is an avalanche. And by the way, meanwhile, you're still fucking asleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so asleep. And this yeah. is like loud. This is fucking, our like tent pop, is shaking. Shaking like, and then like, the air blast like was like trying to pop us like a balloon. It was fucking crazy. And in that moment, I didn't think I was going to die. I knew I was going to die. Because I knew I was in an avalanche at Camp Two on Mount Everest, and even if I somehow survived the avalanche, like how the fuck am I going to get back? I don't have my gear on, like, and there's no rescue. Like it was just, it was just over, and all I felt was terror. And I started to scream, "John, John, avalanche, avalanche!" You're right next to me, John, avalanche. I don't know how the fuck you're still sleeping, but you were. <laughs> I wake your ass up. Out of a dead sleep, you put your hand on my arm and you said, it's going to be okay. And then it stopped. And 
And what we realized the next day was the avalanche stopped just short of our tent. What hit us was the air displacement, the air blast, yeah. which could still kill so you. Much powder, yeah. It could still kill you. Which so I we saw were in lucky. 2015 yeah. in base camp it did that to people. So we were lucky, but we survived. But what I want to ask you is, why did you say that? I mean, and how did I you think know? you have to have that kind of attitude about that, especially in the mountains, that things are going to be fine, first of all. <laughs> maybe second of all, slightly joking, like maybe I was so far asleep that I was like, hey, it's all right, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> But I do believe, like, I mean, you hung out with me enough to know, like, just the optimism for the the positive outcome is where where it has to stay for me because I'm working with people all the time that I might have fears of certain things. And if I, if I can't hold it together, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to end well in terms of like the client confidence or, you know, friends that I'm out with confidence and just like how things are going to go on an expedition. And it's a long grind. So, you know, I just apply that to expeditions. I apply it to my life all the time. I, I just, I see the good no matter what, you know, no uh, matter. I'm going to die in my sleep someday. I don't want to die out on the mountain somewhere. That's just my approach. What does that mean? Again? I'm going to just you? fall asleep and probably die when I'm like old. Mm. I don't want to be out climbing somewhere and get wiped out by something. So I try to like think that way. Right. You know, it's almost like manifesting yeah. things okay. in your life with like gratitude, which you do a lot, yeah. and like positive attitude. Like I just, I feel like that's a good thing to do in the mountains. Like, like um like we do like blowing kisses to the mountain or like meditating yeah. or thank thanking the mountain for safe passage and things like things like that just good energy into the into the world is going to come back and and suit us way better than any sort of downer and, so you don't allow even the thought of something bad could happen to me out here you don't practice honestly, that thought honestly no yeah no, you don't not practice at all. that thought yeah and that's why very I mean, few low days out there as you know yeah. like I mean, low is low. We have highs and lows because yeah. it's hard. Yeah. But we, we like, I just go out and like, I always think that the, it's going to end in the right way. Right. Yeah. Right. You have to. I think you have to apply that to your real life because if you yeah. always go out and you think you're not good enough, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough of something that you're trying to accomplish a goal, you're going to hurt yourself to even get started. You're going to limit yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How do you train for Everest? <laughs> we we train mountains with mountains. Like that's the best way to do it. I get so many emails from either prospective clients <laughs> or people that want to know like, hey, you're out like, like you've been doing this mountain or that. Like how do you train for Mount Everest? And I say, well, I, I have this thing called Everest Ready. Like that's a philosophy where like I could get off the couch today and go straight to Everest and climb it. No problem because I've created a lifestyle that lends itself to being able to climb the highest mountain in the world at any any given time. Yeah. And, and and I think you apply that to life. Like you should be ready for anything. Like if you're you have a hobby that you love or you have a job that you're doing and maybe there's an opportunity that comes to you, but like skill wise, you gotta have the skills or you have to have the preparation. But like you could literally just go and do the task immediately, you know? Yeah. Like like actually a great example of that for you, Mike, is like you're such a talented musician everyone knows that you're such a talented guy with your breath work your approach to life i feel like you have an everest ready mindset when it comes to any of those um things 
to where like somebody came to you right now and was like, Hey Mike, I need, I need this here. Here's a million dollars. I need you to come play at my, my friend's, you know, party and we're going to pay you for this acoustic <laughs> set. Like you're Everest ready. You just go do it. Cause that's what you do. That's part of your life. Yeah. Or, or, Hey, I need you to come do this breath, amazing breath work, mentoring mm-hmm. session on wellness and, you know, breath work. And, you know, you, you just have all these tools. And I think all of us should, should look towards like having, having the tools in our toolbox to, go out and take on that challenge, whatever the challenge is. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be ever ready if someone asked me to come and like teach him how to fly fish. Like I, <laughs> I fly fish a little for fun, but I'm not like that great at it. But it's it, for but the thing you care about. the thing you care it about. It can be yeah. ready for everything. Because yeah, yeah. Too many skills, but for the thing that lights you up that you want, that is important in the story of your life, one should yeah. be ready to do that anytime is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to backtrack even before that. You said something really powerful, which is train for mountains with mountains. And I sometimes quay, I say train for climbing mountains by climbing mountains. Yeah. But it's the same idea. Yeah. And it's like people get so in their head about what they need to do to get ready to do the thing they want to do. And usually that is just fear talking. Like they're scared to actually start. So before they go on a mountain, they want to go in the gym and like do squats and all yeah. stuff. And it's like you don't get you don't get great at climbing mountains by doing, doing squats. Doing tons of squats. You, you can get use great, them to supplement, yeah. but like but you, you know, get great at climbing mountains by climbing, climbing mountains. mountains. That applies to any discipline. And creating simulations. I mean, how many simulations? Remember when we did that set of like eleven peaks in eight days? Because I was like, well, hey, you know, we're kind of limited by <laughs> yeah. COVID. Do I remember traveling? Yeah, day eight, I'm fucking weeping into my hands. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, but I want you to feel all the emotions and all the things that you might feel on an Everest expedition because Everest, as you saw, threw everything at you. And when you look back at your your experience on Everest and how hard you worked, and you look back then at the training that got you Everest ready for that, like did it did the training help you? Right. Yeah, dude. Were you prepared? Like when you got done with Everest, in some ways it was easier, supposed to be easier yeah. than the training. And I think uh, it was a, harder for truth sure. Truth is a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was harder Maybe. for sure. But, I but mean, were you, in you some were, way, technically, like we climbed much harder, many harder things yeah. technically as far as like, but the number that altitude did on me yeah. was with so much. That's that the hardest thing to see. We wanted to prepare for more, but we were handicapped by it. COVID, we wanted to do Cho Yu, we wanted to yeah. do Denali, we wanted to do Aconcagua, like, yeah. but we couldn't. So that was that was a new thing, for sure, being that high. Yeah. But um, like when you think about the Lhotse face, the Akumbu ice fall. Easy work. All that stuff was like easier climbing than what you've been climbing. Yeah. The ladders. Yeah. You were the, this is one of my favorite things too with ladders, man. Like that's the other flip the switch mindset thing that I'm talking about is I've never seen a guy except Mike Posner. Or just to tell people what the ladders are. Okay, the so ladders, the ladder's yeah, like, like, you know, like, like a ladder that goes up to paint your side of your house, but we lay them sideways, you know, between two things and a crevasse to cover up the crevasse so you can like step and walk on the ladder. And yeah. some people look at those and they see the crevasse and they have all this fear. And I was like, Mike, how, this is how we're going to train it. We're going to set up ladder courses. We're going to take these ladders over to my brother's house who kind of lives on this hilly, snowy area. And we're going to, yeah. Build these systems so you know how to build them, how they work, how you understand them first. And then you won't fear them. You're, you're going to just go over these crevasses and no problem. You're going to understand how to set your crampons on them. You're going to yeah. understand how to climb them. And then you're out there with a headlamp in the middle of the night sometimes, 
calling up my brother and my sister-in-law and asking you to come over to practice. And they're like, yeah, come on over. But you would go just practice the rope course, yeah. the ladder course. Absolutely. And you were so prepared. And then one of my fondest memories is like, you know, here comes a catch, catch up on a few people that go across the ladder. And we find yeah, catch them in the ice fall at Everest, the real thing. And we're over a crevasse, you know, two ladder lengths wide that you can't see the bottom of at 2 a.m. And poses on the ladder hooting and hollering, hey, coach, this is awesome. This is so fun. <laughs> Woo! You know, you know how you scream. I know everybody knows how you scream. Woo! And, yeah, yeah, like that. Woo! Thank you. And 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 I and I'm just shaking my head, but I'm laughing. And all the people are like, what the hell got into this guy? Who is this guy? And I'm thinking to myself, that's actually the attitude that you gotta have yeah, to man. climb through the ice fall. Yeah, man. You just have and it, could you imagine like and I think back to actually like 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 Peyton Manning. I don't know if you mm. remember those commercials where he was like, "Cut that meat, cut that meat," and he's like like he went to like a like a, a meat market and the, and like uh -huh. the butcher and he's cheering for the butcher like how yeah. people cheer for him in a football game. Yeah, and like same thing like you know like you're out there like you know going all crazy about this and could you imagine like somebody that goes to an office job and like they had that attitude every single day like they, it would rub off on their coworkers, it rub on other company. people. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. And like, but just like that mindset of flipping the switch, like instead of everyday in the everyday world, if we dread something, how far are we really going to get with it? Versus if we embrace this sort of uncomfortable and or can create a completely outrageous situation. But, but you, you flipped the switch, literally flipped the switch to such a degree that that was like ladders became like my favorite thing, actually. <laughs> on yeah. The Everest climb. Yeah. I like, like hey, let's ladders. crush these ladders. Like, this is sick. This is so fun. I like ladders. Versus dreading it. Because 99% of the people right. I talk to that see videos like that, they are freaked out. They're I like, did There's too. There's no way. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting thing during my training. I remember reading this book, actually, <laughs> Sleeping on the Summits by you, like very early in our training. And it was talking about class four, class five climbs, which I had never done before. And those are climbs. With class fours were like, you only have two points of contact, right? Or is that five? Uh, five is like... You climb up a wall. Five gets graded between... You're climbing a wall. Class four is like, you're on the wall, but your handholds are really good. All four handholds are really good. Okay. And then when you get to five, from about 5.4 to 5.10, then yeah. you kind of take away one good hold every time. Right. From like 5.4 so to 5.8. When I, we started training and I read about class five in your book, I was like, I can't do that. And I remember I called you like, do we have to do class five on Everest? And you're like, no, there's not really, it's just hard and it's high and it's cold and it's long. It's really like the risk factors, like a little bit on the Hillary step. Yeah. And you're, but, yeah. But yeah. the thing was, as we trained, that terrified, the, the, the thought of class five terrified me. But as we trained, you, you made me do class five shit and yeah. it freaked me out. And it was fall or die type situations. And then six months in the training, nine months in the training, like I wasn't scared of heights anymore. Yeah. And you said to me, I'm like, and you're sending me out there to do this shit. And I remember I'm like, do we have to make moves like this on this mountain? And you're like, no. And I'm like, well, why do we have to do it? Because it was scaring me. And you said, because when we're approaching the summit, and you got 10,000 foot drops on both sides of you, and you're on that ridge, you're not going to be scared. 
And that's actually why we did Capital three times. Yeah, and I wasn't. Because from K2 on Capital, South Summit, yeah, to Capital Summit, and on that the you know, knife steep edge. stuff, Knife Edge, and past the Knife Edge. Yeah. You remember what it was like after the South Summit on Everest, mm-hmm. and then in the dark and that Knife Edge Ridge a little bit, and even the rockiness yeah. of it? And the <laughs> fucking crazy, I remember yeah. it. <laughs> but how, how similar to Capital was the rock, actually? The rock, I'm not talking right. about the snow. Right. But you had to climb on some rock in the very top, and it yeah. was very similar, actually. Like the yellow band. Man. And that's why we did. that's yeah. why we did it that way a little bit. So, a couple final questions. Me being camp four with you, I actually had, I don't know if it was the oxygen or whatever, but we're laying in that tent getting ready to go to the summit. I had like a psychedelic trip. And so I remember that moment and the summit moment, you know, for the rest of my life. What was being in camp four like with me on our our climb? What was that like for you? When we got up there, right? Just being in camp four oh, and that tent, there. getting ready to go. I mean, you're just sort of like, it's hard to rest because it's like game on. And also, we were there for like a month. And I'm just talking about like... Not camp four, at Everest in general. Like being there? No, I mean, what was the moment in camp four, oh. in the tent at camp four on our summit push? That was a powerful moment for me. Yeah, yeah. And looking in your eye and getting ready to go. What was that like for you? For me? Yeah. I mean, it was special because it was sort of like the culminate. You knew that the, the summit was coming, but it was, uh, it was special in a way that, like, like I said, like the mentorship, the brotherhood, and the, hey, he, I, at this point, because we work so hard, I think he already knows what to do. And I just had that confidence. It was like a confident moment, you know? It was hard to sleep, too, because it was exciting. And it was like, well, we had been at Everest for like over a month, like it's time to get this done, get the job done so we can go home, but but not in a way where like, oh, I don't want it to be over. I thought about the journey. Do you remember crying up you know? there? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I remember all of it and uh, just how, how special that journey can be. And it, I guess that's what drives me now is like when I get to lead people that are so dialed into what, what they want to do with mountains, that's why I get, I'm grateful to get to do what I do, but that's what continues to drive me every day. And, get up and work with people like you because that was just like the ultimate, you know, experience. There's nothing better really, you know. You put all that work in, all that time in and then and then it's it's time to execute, you know. So it's like an exciting restless <laughs> moment. I remember you said to me you're like I'm just so I can't remember you said I'm just so proud. In in the camp, not even at the summit, camp four. Like, yeah. Like this is this is the moment we've been working towards, man. For like, fuck, it fucks me up. We worked so hard, man. About 20 months for 20 minutes on the summit. We worked so hard. <laughs> yeah. And it was it there were months, like weeks where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is so hard. And to be up there in that moment with you, like, only you under, only you knew, knew what it took. Yeah, and it's hard, too, because, I mean, all the people that helped us, too, right? Like the Sherpas, D.C., Dawa, yeah. you know. We're so blessed to, like, get to work with these guys yeah. that are way stronger than both yeah. of us. 
Yeah, by I far, mean, you know. That was the big distinction for me when I got to the summit. I thought I was gonna feel proud for making it, but I felt not pride. I felt humility because I knew I wouldn't be there without you, without DC, and without Dawa Dorje. Like I just wouldn't be standing there, and. You know, that's like the crazy thing is like, for me, that's an experience that is so hard to explain to other people that aren't you and aren't Dawa. And I think that's why it was so hard. It still is hard when Dawa died, Dawa DC died on Manislu. Was it two years later or one year later? Year later, yeah. Year later. Basically in the fall, year and a half. You know, and, and I know when people hear this, there's all kind of narratives around, like people saying, well, you know, you guys put these guys' lives in danger. And on, in one respect, that's true. You know, we're hiring them to take us and take me to do my, I'm really doing it. You're, you could climb without them. I'm really hiring them to help me live my dream and it's dangerous. And I think there's also, like, they might have an idea that we just show up and leave, but it's not like, like, it, these guys are our, our boys, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like we stopped talking to them after we left. No. You know? It was mm -hmm. like. Hire them for, to hike with us for trekking. I, mean, I talked like, to, I talk to Dollar Door J all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I talked to DC and. So. Obviously Mourn has. Part of what's so sad about it for me is obviously it's a tragedy for him and his family, but selfishly, there were only there were only three other guys that understood that moment. No one else gets it. I mean, no matter how, how good I am, I'm a damn good writer, I think. You know, <laughs> it's like I can't, I can't put into words what that was like. It was, it was so real. Life was so real because death was so close. And there's three other guys, now there's only two, you know? And so that was, that's just like, it, it sucks, man. Fuck. So when I, when I, if I were to ask you, hey, Mike, going to climb Everest from the other side. You want to go climb with me? What's what's your opinion on Everest, on other mountains? Yeah. Like climbing, climbing-wise, yeah. like are you interested in climbing more? That's or are you question. focusing on other challenges? Well, uh, my risk tolerance changed dramatically on that expedition. You know, as I was going up, after that Camp 2 scare, I remember just thinking like, this isn't like a, this isn't a fucking simulation. Like, this is serious. And I remember having this thought, like, my thoughts are a little more unwieldy than yours. Like, they aren't always positive. Like, I have negative thoughts. And, and the reason I'm into all the shit I'm into and why I think I'm able to teach others is I can, my thoughts can go really negative. And I I do these practices like stuff with you, like Wim Hof, like meditate 
to get them back on the rails. And so when I was at camp two, I was having thoughts like, I can't fucking die here, man. I can't, I like, I have more to give to the world. Like this isn't, this can't be the end of my story. And so when I got off that mountain, I felt like, man, I rolled the dice and I won <laughs> and I'm good. I don't need to prove shit to anyone, man. I don't need to prove shit to anyone else. And I don't need to prove anything to myself. Like I know, I know how I showed up on summit day. I know how hard the days before that were. I know I can count on myself when under pressure and I felt inspired to, I feel inspired to share, share the things I learned on that trip, but I don't need to, I need to go back up Everest now, right now. Maybe I'll change my mind one day, but. But even we've done other mountains now, which yeah. is super fun. It's yeah. Like, I like, like, hey, let's go do Mount I like Whitney. what, we, hey, I like what we just did. This. Yeah. Because look, I think especially for men and everybody, but I, I've only, I've only been a man, so I can speak with more certainty for men. We need like, I told my mom, we're going to the Grand Canyon, which, which we just came out of. And I said, we're going to do in two days, 41 miles. And she goes, it's so fast. You're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to see anything. It's not going to be fun. I said, this is a different kind of fun. She goes, I don't understand. I think that. we enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, though. well, we had, because what I'm trying to say is like, sometimes when you're, sometimes you just need to go like crush yourself <laughs> exactly. and see who you are yeah. and it's it's actually a, a different kind and of step fun. away from the normal life right you so have to it i helps love with doing, everything yeah so i it love doing, so many things right so i mm -hmm. love doing projects like we just did where it's really hard i'm not like i showed up i don't i didn't know if i could do it to be honest with you you know but i knew i wasn't going to die so I like projects like that where it's still going to push me. I'm going to grow, but my life's not yeah. on the line to the same extent. And I think there are things that I would risk my life for right now. They all involve other people. They involve, like, if my friend's life was in, if my mom was in danger, yeah, I'd risk my life for sure. But to go back to get another summit at Everest, not for me Yeah, right now. That's okay, though. Let's take some questions, bro. All right, let's do it. I want to do more epic adventures, but I feel limited by both time and financial constraints. So what advice do you guys have on making these massive adventures happen, like walking across America, like climbing Everest, and you know, monetizing it as well? So what if I wanted to like walk across America, raise money for mental health, and make it a whole to-do? For the walk... Is that something like what? What are the projects you're interested in doing? Or maybe there's just one. Give us a little color. Yeah, I'd love to walk across America, raise money for a cause like mental health. And honestly, I feel limited by my ability to do that, given that a the time commitment, um, and b I don't really know how to put something like that together in a way that is financially feasible at this moment. Well, the good news about the walk across America is it's cheaper than your life right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It costs, I mean, you pay, do you have rent? I do. Well, you could stop at that. Were you sleeping in tents on the side of the road or what were you? I wasn't, but plenty of people do. Yeah, I'm a little bougie motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I walk supported, but people walk. Listen, man, <clears throat> here's the thing. Like, 
I'm not going to plan your trip for you because you haven't committed to it yet. And part of you, part of your impulse to do this is getting over these reasons, which are really, and I mean this with all compassion and love, because I had them too, they're excuses. They're excuses in fancy clothes and they're emotional, time, money. These are hot topics for every human being. But at the end of the day, these are excuses in fancy clothes. And I'm not, t- I'm not here to tell you like what to do with your life. That's for you and your heart to decide. But there's never going to be a right moment. No one is ever going to roll out a red carpet for you to do something that crazy. And when you do make the decision, in fact, the opposite will happen. People are going to tell you you're fucking nuts and this is the wrong decision. So what I hear is like you haven't made the decision yet. And um, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but these are th- this is part of the journey. This is like one of the greatest gifts that of my walk across America was understanding my manager saying, dude, this is a bad idea. This is a crazy idea. And then Elliot telling me, yeah, not all crazy ideas are great, but all great ideas are crazy. And money, dude... Well- yeah, just mon- money to walk across America is a non-issue. It's you- a non-issue. And time, like, it, like walking across America is fucking cheap, bro. <laughs> like, you have a backpack and you push a, or you push a cart and you walk. And you, <laughs> you got to pay for food. Yeah. But that's but on, it. You pay on, for food anyways. Yeah. You know? But on the practical side, Mike, too, I, and I guess we didn't even touch on this. And you know about this from me. Mm. I mean, before my business really got rolling the last, let's say, five, five, six years. Yeah. Pre-COVID, I used to drive Uber on the side. Yeah. Hell, sometimes I still do it now because I live in a mountain town and I got a few hours to kill. I haven't done it very much lately because I'm super busy. But actually, I did it over Christmas, man. I jumped in my car and drove Uber and made like $500 one night. And I don't know who was getting in my car, but they give them business cards and they get all curious and like, it's a great way to build clientele. And so- before I met you, Mike, at maybe 20, crazy enough, right? Like 2016, 2017 or so. Mm-hmm. I'm living in a mountain town. I work as a professor and a ski instructor. This is like before my business really got rolling. And I would drive Uber and I eliminated all of my debt. I had like $35,000 in credit card debt because I spent a lot of money putting stuff on credit cards on a chance, like going to climb something. Like I was yeah. saying, nine grand on Everest, like extra and other expenses and whatever. And I drove Uber because I didn't know like who would get in my car and strike up a conversation with. Yeah. And, I, and also, I'm not too good to work a second job and put a bunch of money away. Heck, I, you know, a little bit on the side now, like put that money somewhere and I can use it later. And then it allows me to go do things and I don't have to stress about the finances. So yeah, a side hustle is a great idea. If you're wondering about like, hey, I need money for this. I need money for that. You know, like I just like, like kind of goes back to the humility of it. I never thought I was too great to drive Uber. And then here's what's crazy about what I was saying, Pose. Mm. I remember listening to, I had Sirius Satellite Radio in my car when I first bought it for like a year and a half, two-year subscription. So I'm like bumping the Sirius XM hits. Yeah. Posner's song, mm-hmm. Took a Bill in Ibiza, was on a lot when they did that remix that yeah. blew up. Yeah. And then it's crazy. I meet Posner, right? Yeah, like the guy, but bearded I, Posner like, I kind of really know who this your, guy was. He condo. showed up and later on, <laughs> kind of what happened later on was, 
was my my business manager Googles him because he you know he Googles our clients to make sure it's not like an axe murder or somebody crazy <laughs> I'm taking out. And he's like, "Do you know who this guy is?" And I was like, oh, "No, oh, I guess you were I, like, no, yeah, no." <laughs> and I, but I think that's what Mike liked about me. Like I didn't, I don't. I don't care who my clients are. I want to work, make want them all to work hard no matter what. I want to yeah. put them through the ringer. I'm going to like give them all the best training and whatever. But, but it was kind of funny because, and then from time to time now when a Posner song plays, like I was getting in the lift line at Vale the other day and I like made a video and sent it to Mike. I'm like, Mike, like, dude, I can't get away from you. Or like, <laughs> like that time you were at Dallas peak and I had yeah. to like Dallas yeah. peak. I had to go and like come up. You knew where to camp when we did Dallas peak the second yeah. time. And I'm like sleeping in my car because I was going to get up early come up to the trailhead and your cooler than me song comes on the radio i'm just like man i can't get away from this guy like what's up but it was just kind of yeah. funny but 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 yeah the point is with all this is like <laughs> work a second job like like you could you can always find a way you can always find a way you can always find a way and what i think you're really missing is your why like why 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 do you want to do this and i don't think it's solid yet and if it was you'd be doing it and so that's not something for me to figure out. That's for, for something you to for you to meditate on. And look, man, I had these reasons to not walk. Same, same ones. I didn't have time was the big one. I didn't have time. I had the idea five years before I went. I waited because... Uh, I didn't have time. There was always... I was finishing an album... There was, there was a tour I had to do to support the last album. There was a wedding that I was invited to that I felt like I had to go to, but I didn't even really want to go to. I mean, I didn't have time. I should I, and I would say next year, next year, next year. And so I put it off five years. And you know what happened those five years? Uh, my dad died. He never got to see me go. He never got to see me to do the thing that maybe defined my life more than anything else. And so, yeah, I would say don't wait if it, if it really matters to you, you know, and I, I don't know if it does. You do. But was there a specific moment where you got that clarity yourself? Yeah, it was just immense pain, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm living in like a guest house in West Hollywood and I got the Grammy. I got the money. I got the attention from the girls in my life. Fucking sucks. And I'm sitting there like, I mean, it's not, it was, I'm not saying I would have laughed. Like I woke up and I didn't have a compelling reason to get out of bed. There was nothing in my life I was looking forward to. And a future that's empty makes a present that's unbearable. So that was the situation I was in. I was, just, I think I was probably just in more pain than you are right now where I was like, I can't, I, something has to fucking change. Like this can't, this can't be it. There's got to be more of my life. And I think you have an inkling of that now. And look, I don't know you, dude. So we're just talking. So any of this shit that doesn't hit, don't, don't listen to me. But my intuition is you have an inkling that there's something more in your life. Um, but you haven't reached that inflection point and you're not solid on your why. And so, you know, it's part of why I do this. I don't want people to wait as long as me. I don't want their their parents to not see them become who they're really meant to be so look man i think you have a heart that's beautiful and your heart is there to help you decide what to do your mind is there to help you to figure out how to do it but right now you have them doing the wrong job you got your mind trying to help you figure out what to do
So put that motherfucker back in his place and and just live a beautiful life, man. And and by your definition, not by mine. You don't have to I, I already love you, bro. But go for it if you want to. Yeah, do it. man, but if you like you should look back at your your yourself and your life and go, this is fucking incredible. To who? To you. Yeah. Yes, bro. Yes. Yes. So what's the so if I'm gonna do it, what's step one in planning? Dude, there's so many books you can read. Like it's your job to do that shit. That's what I'm saying. I have a personal policy. When people have that haven't decided to walk, ask me how to do the walk. I don't tell I don't talk to them. After they commit, if they're saying, if they say, I'm thinking about doing the walk, give me X, Y, and Z detail. I got no time for you. But if they say to me, I'm walking in September, can you give me some advice? I will clear my fucking schedule. I will do that for you. I will have a I will have a conference call. We can have a Zoom. Like you hit Jason. I'll tell you everything I need that you need to know. I'll share it all. But until then, it's not that you're still going in your head going, okay, what's the first step? Like, go read, go search online. There's so many books about people who walked across America. There's a book called How to Walk Across America and Not Be an Ass. Like, I read all these <laughs> motherfucking books. They're, they're, the resources are out there, man. <clears throat> so you go, you go figure it out. And if you make that decision, I'll share everything I know with you. Um, but step one is, is making the decision. Make a decision, do the research, and then uh, already dug out, right? Yeah. Do the research, and then, and then I would say do the research first. Make an educated decision. I don't care. Like, before I committed to Everest, I read a thousand books. I talked to people who really were there. I want to, and then, because if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. That's important to me, how I live my life. Whether it's showing up for dinner or climbing the tallest mountain in the world. So... For me, yeah, man, I learn as much as I can. And then once I say it, and he, it goes. And this guy goes for it because <laughs> now it's it's a little bit tough when I have clients that I work with one-on-one, -on -one, especially if they're an Everest client. I have the gold standard. Like, I, I mean, I have to say that. I have, I the, have gold the gold standard, standard. 71 mountains that I put this guy to a college-level coursework. Like, he got a he got a degree in climbing Everest. Like, it was like coursework of various skills, a training program, the 71 mountains, the other training, like everything I built for this guy. So when I have another client and they're not, they're not up to the standard I want, it's sort of like the Posner method. Like it's like, seriously, the Posner Everest method. But, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Like he had no, he had no skills before. So I had to start, None. I had to build him from nothing. So that he deserved <laughs> to be there. I have other clients that already have skills and so then I, I'm able to like work with them in different ways, right? I'm going to be going back to Everest this year with another client, but he's already done some mountains and has the base level of skills. Let's fine tune them. But I still at times like I'll, you know, I'll be out with a client and, 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 and if they're, or I'll meet with them and if they're not putting the work in, I kind of sigh because he, this man did everything I asked of him. And that was impressive. And that's most of my clients do do that. They, you know, cause I'm, I don't want to put down my other clients, but like they, they also will put the work in. And when they do, then I allow yeah. them to go on these bigger trips. And it's a joy for me if they are putting the work in, you know, it's, it makes everything easier. It's safer. It's fun. Like, you know, it's that's great. Right. I love it. So you have to put yeah. the work in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm ready to put it in the work. Go get it, bro. All right, get it. Let's go. Hey, let's 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 call. Let's talk to him again in like a month or something. And ask what he's. We're gonna he, we're gonna call your ass, bro. Let's go. All right, I look forward. Hey, I love you, bro. <clears throat> I'll be permitted. Keep going, dude. <laughs> Keep going. How often, or a percentage, was your life or limb in danger? You know, how often would you slip or fall or injure yourself um, to the point that it was scary? And looking back. Is there a mountain you would not have repeated knowing what you know today? Say like 2% because like I only fell yeah. that time on Little Bear and I'm on Everest. In your whole career, 2%. Yeah, because yeah, I've, yeah. I've never, that was the that was the worst injury of my career, falling, skiing during that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since then I've been on a bunch of these mountains. Every time on Everest, I've never felt compromised. You know, I mean, I had some crazy experiences there. I was there when the earthquake happened too. Yeah. And you watch that and you're kind of like, wow. But, but you know, it's just like, I, I tell people like driving a car in a major city is more dangerous than what we get to do all the time. And this year's no, no that's different. not true, dude. You don't think? Dude, driving a car is not though, more dangerous more, but than more people, more people die in auto accidents. So. Yeah, but not by percentage, dude. There's millions of people in cars. <laughs> True, but, on the but there's a lot of accidents. So <laughs> no, I don't dude. Know. Hey, if you want to keep that just right, right. Right. <laughs> But I guess my I'll point is, is like, ahead, I've been able to go out hundreds of days in the mountains and like, I come home every time, yeah. right? So I think, it's, I think it's safe, relatively speaking. But then again, I'm not like, Alex Honnold, like I'm not out there like free soloing everything. I free solo some stuff, but not yeah, not to his level. Yeah. Right. Like I'm just out having a good time. Or like today we we're hiking. Yeah, I could go over and slip by the edge of the cliff on and in the Grand Canyon, yeah. but I, I'm on the trail, so I'm good. Like I didn't never felt in danger once this this trip. Me either. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, it's a low percentage. And so much of the like time is approaching, you know, some sketchy move or that's like very short and it's also skill based you know like i would we'd climb something and i would be like my hands would be shaking when we finished and he his would not be not even close because of his experience level what was the second part of your question it's just when you slip or you have an injury i just can't imagine that you climbed that many mountains and you didn't have something that was significant or made you ever think should we turn back yeah, I had a million of those. <laughs> oh, yeah, I slipped on uh, peak 10. And I caught you. Yeah, you caught me. You saved my life. Yeah. Um, I was spotting it, but yeah, I always spot him. Like, if it was low third, fourth, fifth class, we were going unroped. Yeah. I'd let him go first, and I'd spot him. So if he fell, I'd catch him. But, yeah, I mean, there were t I mean, yeah, you're walking past dead bodies on Everest. Like, people that were alive a week before with the same dream you did. So... Yeah, I was thinking about that every step because not only do you... People don't... That high on the mountain, they don't die from falling. They die from misreading how much energy they have left. That's how they die. They see the summit and they go, I can get there, but they don't account for, I have to get down. The summit is only halfway. And John will always say, going up is optional, getting back down is mandatory. So... You look at these people who made the wrong, didn't assess correctly. And they, what happens is they like sit down and take a break, close their eyes, and they never open them up again. And so I was thinking about that, gosh, near every, every step, you know, um, and just do, do I have enough? And you don't know for sure. You're just going based on your training, your feeling. So, 
yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of like in that moment that <laughs> moment at camp too is fucked up. So yeah. Did that answer your question? Absolutely, yes. Well, I also wanted to know looking back, is there any mountain oh yeah you would not do again? I know Everest Everest <laughs> <laughs> Um for what, me, K2? Would you do K two again? I mean, I have a little bit of pull on pull to K two because I went there in the winter and we put ten Sherpas on the summit and I thought it was too cold and windy because it was in the winter it was 50 below zero and five people died on the trip and i just think i just think when i look at k2 is it worth it is it not there's a reason why i'm kind of like not putting it in the plans right now like i'd rather do other stuff doesn't sound like it's completely off the table yeah like not completely but i think like i'd rather go ski powder in japan or go on a heli ski trip or yeah you know, guide the trips I'm guiding this year with, you know, we've got groups going on Kilimanjaro. We're heading to Patagonia next next month. Next week, I'm guiding a client That's in right. Aconcagua. Like, those sort of trips for me are less risk-averse. So, I'd rather be leading people on those. And then, personally-wise, like, I'm formulating some goals. and you got, a, you got a little something up your sleeve. Yeah, always. All right. And well. so, like, it's just, it's just, those are going to be determined by like how risky they are and i you know, i don't know i'd rather go ski down show you than go back to k2 right you know that that kind of comparison yeah. so yeah i got a lot of mountains i wouldn't go back to like a long <laughs> list of those yeah fuck yeah the shit he made me wham do. ridge <laughs> wham ridge wham ridge nah, probably, i mean i i that cold plunge was insane though <laughs> wham ridge was crazy yeah that was spiritual uh not jagged jagged what about Dallas Peak? You Dallas, did Dallas I would again. Do again. That Dallas repel was, was fun. That repel was Woo, so fun. That was fun, boy. Grand Teton? That repel was fun too. That was fun, but it was it's not as do- as dope as Dallas, Dallas to me. Dallas, yeah. The San Juans are special. Yeah. That's all we got. <laughs> I love you, Marjan. I hope I get to see you soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna see my mom too. I'm gonna tell her we talked to you. Please say hi to her. Absolutely, all I right. will. Love you, Marjan. God bless you. I wanna one thank you both. For how you utilize your platforms, it's it's so beautiful to see. And I know, speaking from experience, so many people just need a little bit of light in the darkness to like find their way out, you know. And I I think that you're both truly like a beacon of hope. Um, so thank you. And um, this all kind of like ties into my question. So I've been sober now for coming up on five years, like four years and nine months or so. And um, it all like kind of lines up with a lot of your music that dropped. Um, So if I'm not mistaken, A Real Good Kid came out five years ago yesterday and um, Keep Going came out mm, like May or May of 2019, I think. And I got sober in April 2019. So okay. when I got sober, I, you know, I, I was grateful because I, I made it out of where I was, uh, which was a very dark place. But, you know, at that point, it was very day to day, you know, like just trying to keep doing the right thing every day, day at a time. And it still is a day at a time. But, you know, as time passes, this becomes my life. This is who I am today which is beautiful. And, um, and I really want to thank you, Mike, cause it, you, you really were with me through every emotion. Like I remember, um, the, the lyric where 
I'm looking in the mirror like, who are you? Yeah. I was singing that today. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. This morning, I was singing that. I did that verse in the Grand Canyon. I'm going to show you a video of it, or we'll post a video of it. Jason can show you. Yeah. Dude, gassed me up, and I like, so I, I lost 80 pounds from getting sober and exercise and everything like that. And at the, that point, I think I lost like 40 or 50 or something. And I'd be looking in the mirror like, who are you? And I'd be going nuts. So like, <laughs> so like through that and then the, um, the song Perfect off a of Real yeah. Good Kid. I, I listened to that on repeat for like an hour and would just have myself a, a beautiful fucking soulful cry. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, top notch. So all around. So I just want to thank you because I think that you were a large part in my sobriety. So thank you. And um, so this all kind of loops into the question for both of you, I think really. So now that I've been, sober for coming up on five years and everything and in that time frame i've i've gotten married holla congratulations thank you i um i have my first child on the way in about a month congratulations john thank you and um and i find myself every night i i know i still pray every night everything like that i do um a spiritual work a couple times a week um but I find myself in this rut at this point where every night it's I sit there for a couple hours to myself and I'm either just watching TV, playing video games, you know, not being productive and it's not fulfilling, you know, and I know what is fulfilling to me. You know, it's it's not climbing Mount Everest and things of that nature, although that would be fulfilling. Um, and I, I'm so on board with that, like Everest ready mindset that you guys were talking about or like even, so what, what is it? What is it that would be fulfilling to you? For me, it's, it's doing the things that I know make me feel good. Like, like yoga and exercise and reading, um, things of that nature to make me a better man, a better father. And what gets in the way? That split moment. There's one moment that I hit every night. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm on the couch. I say, you know, I should really read that book. And then it's way easier to not and to just sit there and be lazy. And my question really is, I was wondering what you might tell yourself if you run into that moment, you hit that block and, and what kind of gets you, gives you that juice to keep going, you know, um, what helps you avoid that complacency and continuously be trying to better yourself every day because I, I want, I want some of that. I know what it takes, but I just, I hit that point and I go, eh, I'm good. You know, I got you. So first of all, you're, you're such a beautiful man and you're inspiring to me. I mean, the, the shit, the shift that you made in five years is, insane it's amazing because some people never get there no some people die die yeah before making so so one i just want to honor you right and i think you gave me that context for a reason and here's the thing i'm going to loop back to what the reason is 
when things are going good and things are going good for you in the macro level, when things are going good, it's easy to get a little sloppy. When people call in and they're in like big moments of pain, I'm almost a little jealous because things are going good for me right now. And, and they don't always, in case you're wondering. <laughs> in case you're wondering. So, and so it's easy for you and I, because things are going good, to get a little sloppy, get a little loose. And guess what? When we get a little loose for a little too long, what happens? God elbows you in the side. Life elbows you in the side. Go, hey, motherfucker, you're getting loose, and it gives you some, some pain. So really what you're asking me is how, how, do I, how do I have the vigilance and the vigor to like continue my, my self-growth when things are going good? And, the, and, and you know your use is five years away now. It's not six months away. You're, you're comfortable. And so the reason I think you told me all that context was just for me to remind you who you are. You're the motherfucker that got sober. You're the motherfucker that lost 80 pounds. You're the motherfucker that went from probably someone that people didn't want to be around to now someone that another human being whom you admire has chosen to spend the rest of their life with and has chosen to bring a new life into the world with. Okay, so that's who you are. And now you're telling me you have trouble reading the book. No, you have trouble reading the book. You just forgot who you are for a second. Okay? So, look, we build, like Tony Robbins will say, build success on success. So just look at, look at who you are, man. Like, and you don't, you're not going to ever be perfect, right? It's okay. You play a fucking video game every once in a while, but you are so much bigger and more powerful than like th these little things that are, that are tripping you up. I don't think, I think you just have to remember who you are and just go fucking do them. Eliminate distractions too. Yeah. And I don't know if there's some, something that you're doing on a daily basis that gives you that sort of relaxed to, to sit back, plan something so that you literally can't, sit there on the couch, right? I like, like, that. like I, I do it all the time. Like I get like somebody, Hey, let's meet up for this yoga class. I like, like have somebody be accountability for it. Yeah, because you don't ever sit around coach. I don't know. I've had some days <laughs> I'm after doing what we did today or like you, we went through this training, right? Like yeah. you told me like, oh, I'll get home after like these, like four days of ripping it. And then I'm, I'm sitting at my house and I'm depressed. Oh yeah. Big time. Well, I, I fill that time with like, Hey, I, I call up somebody and, hey, let's meet at this yoga class. Or like my parents are up at their house. We got a pickleball court there now. Hey, I'll go pick pickleball yeah. with them. Like not, eliminate even the situation. It's just like removing yourself from an unhealthy situation in a relationship. Yeah. You eliminate that person. Great. Well, same thing. Like I'm going to eliminate the problem. Well, the problem is I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm I, 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 no one's around to make me accountable for anything. So I'm just sitting around and I, of course, I'm going to sit back and just be lazy. And it, there's nothing wrong with maybe a little bit with like, taking a break and whatever. Sure. But, but if you're worried about like making sure you want to read that book or do something, you, you should schedule something so then you won't be able to do that. Ske That's what it's I do. It's not real till it's on the schedule. And if the video game is that much a thing, like I identify, bro, I'm addicted to video games. And I used to play them. I lost a whole year of my life 
to FIFA 06 when I was in college. <laughs> no, but this is serious. I stopped playing. The, I can't have video games in my house. They're like drugs to me. So I, I don't have a video game. I don't have a TV in my house. I don't have any of that shit. Because, why? Because I know I'll use the fuck out of it. And once I stopped playing FIFA 06, I got a record deal the next year. Shit started going real good for me, man. So he's right, man. Fucking schedule it. If you got to throw the game out or give it to someone else, throw the game out. And just and remember who you are. I'm not worried about you. You're a beautiful man. Thank you, guys, man. I just, I'm just trying to avoid being another hamster on the wheel. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I got it, man. And like, I, I love your question because this could turn into something not good. But it's not going to because of the action you're going to take. Right? So let's just, let's like, let's just head it off now. Uh, bro, I want to thank you for reminding me that I am that motherfucker. And um, yes! I want to... I want to also thank you both for being those motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Remember that I'm that motherfucker. And also, mm -hmm. I want to say R.I.P. Mac Miller. I'm wearing my swimming shirt today. Yes. Today was his, been his birthday, so 32. R.I.P. Mac. Celebrating up in heaven. But uh, All right, brother. thank you guys so much. Seriously, I, I love it. you guys. Thank you. God bless you. Love you too. Bless you. Thank you. So I've been watching your stuff, your podcasts. Um, all that kind of stuff the last little while and thinking about how you know you're just achieving all these goals it's very inspiring and a few years back i had a podcast where i was interviewing a lot of successful people um pro athletes new york times best-selling authors these people that just were inspiring figuring out their keys to success all that kind of stuff um and literally just a couple days ago i had the thought like it'd be really cool to start up my podcast again so i could reach out to mike posner and see if there's any chance I can make that happen because I was just thinking it'd be super cool to sit down with you and pick your brain. Then sure enough, last night I saw your story and here we are. So, uh, you know, life works in interesting ways and it kind of comes down to like that manifestation stuff you guys are talking about. I feel like when you set a goal, set an intention, uh, your mind just kind of becomes aware of the possibilities. So Yeah, we were supposed to talk today. That's That sounds like to me. Yeah, tell me what your question is, brother. How can we serve you? So my question is pretty simple, and then I have a little bit of context around it. My question is, how do you decide what you want to focus on? So in life, obviously, there's tons of opportunities. I would say that there's limitless opportunities, and it's inspiring to see what you've both done and accomplished. From music for you, Mike, uh, you've both written or are writing books, you know, Everest, all that kind of stuff. And I love the idea of, you know, a soul goal and all that kind of stuff. But the hard thing for me is and always has been kind of jumping from one thing to the next. I get a little too excited and there's so many things that I want to try, do and see. Um, you know, like I wrote a book a few years back, but I didn't really market it. I built an app, but I never really saw that through. I started a marketing business. I had eager clientele, but then I moved on to the next thing and on and on. I always just get it's kind of just that, uh, you know, shiny object. You, you just move from one thing to the next. Um, now I'm a realtor, but I also really want to do more keynote speaking because that's something that's a huge passion of mine. I also have goals maybe to summit Everest. I want to do just so many things in life, but you can only do so much. And I know that focus is super important to, you know, maximize the things that you do look to accomplish. So my question is, how do you decide what is that one thing, at least at a time, that's worth your focus? John, you want to go? 
For me, what's worth my focus is something that, first of all, eats at me if it's a big goal. That's probably the main way that I get drawn to doing something. Uh, and I and I and I will divide my my goals and dreams by personal and professional. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the professional ones that draw me are the ability to work with people that are on fire, like Mike is, or like you know some of my other clients are about their passionate goal. So I like, will prioritize those, and then yeah, I sit down and every year, and I'm like, well, what do I want to do next with like some of my own things, you know, whether it's do another book or another, you know, like for me, what's, what's really the big goal eating way at me is that like, I've done six of the seven summits. I just took a trip to New, New Zealand, Australia, and Thailand. I'd never been up Kosciuszko, which is an easy one, but I still had never gone there. So I, I was making the seven summits journey a priority. Mm. So I went and ran up Kosciuszko, got that done. Cause I also did Carson's pyramid, you know, so like I've done Oceania and whatever. <laughs> And now it's like, okay, well, the last thing staring at me at the face is Vincent. Yeah. And I need to just get the dang thing on the calendar next winter, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of like that kind of prioritization and just set it up, do it, put it on the calendar, and don't let anything stop and get in the way. Just be that, that laser-focused. Yeah, I, was, I think your question isn't really your real question. Your question isn't how to choose what to focus on. It's how to not quit too early like you you don't you i'm just reflecting what you said you you stop everything before it's done and all of those things are cool things the ones you started and the ones that you haven't started yet and look dude i got a list of, that'll take me two lifetimes <laughs> should i want to do too but i want to do it i don't want to start it i want to do it and so I would just ask you, what do you think your life's going to look like in 20 years if you keep doing this? Like, what do you think, honestly? Right. Well, and that's a good question. I'll have a bunch of things that I've started that could have gone somewhere, but not a lot to necessarily okay. show for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is that the life you want to have? No, no, I definitely want to, yeah, see things through. Got it. So I don't know what the next, the thing you should focus on right now is, right? The way I make that decision, like I said to the caller earlier, this is the way I do it. I don't, I'm not saying it's right. It's one way to do it. And yeah, it's one way to do it. And that is I make the decision with my heart. What's another word for heart? Intuition. What's another word for intuition? Faith, God, life. I have a feeling this is what I should do next. And I commit to it. And like I said earlier, when I commit to it, that's a serious thing for me. What, you're, what I think the issue is, is you, you have no integrity with yourself. So... When you say you're going to do something, you don't always do it. And maybe I'm wrong, but it might be in small things as well as these big things. Like, are you on time? I am. I am always that, on That's time. good. That's great. That's a great first step. So it's like, we, I want you to live your life where your word is so powerful. When you say you're going to do something, it rattles your own soul. 
You believe yourself. Other people believe you and it happens no matter what. Yeah, yeah. And so now tell me what your life would look like in 10 years if you cut this habit out of quitting everything because that's what it is if we're not if we're not like putting euphemism on top of it you're 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 starting things shiny new object like you said and then you quit yeah you start another thing so tell me what your life you think your life would look like in 10 years if you stopped doing that shit and you started completing stuff yeah well i think it could be pretty successful because in the things that i have started i think it's this weird thing of I do what I say I'm going to do, but I don't do it fully. And I, I, I think I realized that talking to you is, is the sense that like, yeah, like I've done things, like I've done a couple of TEDx talks, I've written the book, I've, I've done these things, but then I go to the next thing. Whereas if I was to just stick on something, I feel like I could have gained a lot of momentum on that because I've had a lot of big opportunities and small successes but then I want to try something else. But if I was to stick to one thing and just choose what that is for 10 years, you know, that, that could be, that could be big. So. I'm excited for you. You know, what's cool about you is like you, you have, you have the answers already. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't tell you anything. Right. I just asked you one question. You, you know what you need to do. Right. And by the way, brother, I struggle with that too. Because the, the more cool shit I've done, the more, the more options I have now. Like when I walked across America, climbing Everest was now not like some dream. That was something that was legitimately on the menu. Whereas a year before. So the more success you have, the problem only exacerbates. So this isn't going away. Especially because I, I believe you like, and it's awesome that you've already had these successes and you and and you celebrate and recognize them as such. And now you want to, hey, what if I go deeper with one one of them? So this isn't gonna go away for you because I you say you're gonna be pretty successful. I think you could be very successful. I think in some ways you already are very successful, right? And so this problem ain't going anywhere. There's gonna be a lot of opportunities for you for the rest of your life. And you just got to pick. Your life is like a piece of art. There's not a right answer. Like imagine your life like a canvas and every day you put a stroke on that canvas of paint, a new color. And at the end, the, you don't, and the trippy thing about life is you don't know when the end is, but that piece of art is just going to be what it's going to be. Every decision, every day, we add something or maybe we take something away from that piece of art. So we're not doing science here. It's not a right answer. It's not a multiple choice correct answer. You're creating something that is beautiful to your own aesthetic. So think of your life this way. Think of your life like this piece of art, this, this statement, this statement of your being, a reflection of your own soul. That's what your life is. It's an outward reflection of who you are. And so it sounds like to me you're going to, put some new colors on that canvas and I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Is that helpful, brother? That's super helpful. Yeah. And I super appreciate you guys' time. I know you're both uh, 
busy. The Grand Canyon thing sounds awesome. Um, no, yeah, we're so just I, tired I, now. Dinner next. <laughs> hey, brother, have a blessed night. All right, we Thanks. love you. Keep yeah, going, you too. Okay? Maybe All we right. could check in with him too in a in a couple of weeks or something. Would you like that? I would love that. I will yeah, get hyper focused on months. the next two weeks. The next two months. months. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. 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 Go, go make some shit happen. We'll give Let's you a little go. time. Go <laughs> make some stuff happen. Cool. <laughs> Thank you to all our guests that called in and, and John, I just wanna, you know, recognize you as we wrap up. You are someone that just has changed my life beyond imagination. And the the beautiful thing that I already knew that, but that you mentioned um, earlier in the podcast is, is your dream is now helping other people achieve their dreams. And I, I don't know like what's more beautiful than that. And that's just who you are and the way you acted that moment at camp too. That's why I brought that up. Like looking on the positive side of things is not something you just talk about. It's, 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 ensconced in the depths of who you are as a human being and it's a gift you give to other people you're giving to me you saw like I, this guy with a beard shows up fucking LA, <laughs> soft la dude and soft. and i took you know and and you melded me into a man who not only climbed over mount everest but belonged on mount everest and that's not about me it's about you you seeing the potential in others and bringing it out of them with grace and humor and love and there's no one i'd rather be alone on a mountain or in someplace beautiful with than you and so just thank you for being you man thanks man thanks for having me too and uh Always. yeah i'm just grateful for for our friendship now because that's that's part of the fun man i have so you know have so many great friends through this this sport through being outside and when i say sport i'm kind of the depths and the the yeah. breadth of like the outdoors yeah because that's where that's where the the true vulnerability comes in that's where the true growth comes in mm -hmm. that's where the true uh type two type three fun comes in and that's where we get inside ourselves to to become a better better person on the other yeah. side of it and that's 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 what drives me every single day because I, I do, I get to do it to myself too, not just with the yeah, people I you work can't with. Do it like, to yourself. like I've had days where I go out and I learn something that I, you know, or I push through something that I didn't know I had inside me, and that's that's where it is. That's where it's at for me, you know, and it always will yeah. be. And anytime that we're, you know, for the people that are watching this, like are, are searching for something, struggling with something, I think taking that deep breath, uh, blowing kisses to the mountain, like like. We said it a few times on the trail today, like, hey, look at where we are. Aside from like, hey, we're at mile 40 and like we're in pain right now. Hey, how about we're we're at mile mile 40 of, of a tough task in life and we're in pain right now. But even if you're going through a challenge in your life, right? Personal, professional, family oriented. What, have you ever stepped back to like take that deep breath and still, still be grateful for everything that you have and grateful for for where you are like look around where look where you where you are and of course we apply it to the outdoors but like what about in life too like even if you're going through something really hard if you step back and you're grateful for what you do have not what you don't have i think we can all learn and take something from that you know what a lesson yeah one i i i 
am just doing in real time now. Yeah. And it's like, I'm here. We're about to celebrate my birthday. Like all my loved ones, I'm with you. Look at what, what I have. Like, look at my metaphorical mountain right here. And what a, what a lesson, brother. So listen to the doctor, guys. If you uh, want to go on some kind of incredible adventure, adventure with this man, where can they go? You go to my website, drjohnsadventures.com. Okay. So it's probably just, got a few spots left. Yeah, johnkodrowski.com, Dr. John's Adventures. Well, that trip's very soon, <laughs> within the cool. month. So that one's full. Well, we run another one in 2025. Yeah, he's always But we got Kilimanjaro later this year, base camp trek in April, an October base camp trek to Nepal. You know, and we custom create too. So don't like, blow them up too much. I want to hike. Yeah, if someone comes to me and says, "Hey, we want to build this adventure," we just build it for you. You that's can come right. and you can hang out. We can create whatever you want. So that's the essence of this. He's also an author of three books or four now. Four now, yeah. Four guidebooks. These are two yeah. of them. Yeah, he's two, two are guidebooks. Classic Colorado hikes, classic Colorado ski descents, and then there's two sleeping versions. So sleeping on the summits, Colorado fourteeners, and sleeping on the summits. Cascade Volcanoes, which isn't here right now. But don't limit your challenges, challenge your limits. And I think that's what this podcast has been all about. The people that we got to talk to as well. Don't let your beliefs limit what you can do because anything is possible. Let's fucking go. say it again. Don't limit. Don't limit your challenges, challenge your limits. Don't limit your challenges, challenge your limits. Let's go. Keep going, motherfuckers. Let's go have some fun, See boy. <laughs> <laughs> How good was that, dude? Love you.